Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, as always. Appreciate you joining me and giving me a little bit of your time. I know you have other things that you could be doing, uh, and so I'm grateful that you're here. For those of y'all that continue to share the podcast with others, tell people about it. Thank you so much. Um, Very grateful for your continued support. For those of y'all that financially support the podcast over on Patreon, thank you for continuing to encourage as well as those of y'all online that Send notes and encourage that way. Not a whole lot. It's been uh, cool for a few days, which is really nice. Um, but that's just trying to sucker us in for when it gets real hot. So, And it's coming. Sat on the porch for a little while. Watch the girls play in the yard, play volleyball and ride bikes up and down the road and watch the puppy terrorize them and really pretty much everybody. She's quite the menace, chewing up bike tires and volleyballs and clothes, anything she can get her hands on or teeth on, I should say, I guess. I think that's about it. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the time to record this podcast. Thank you for the people who listen to it and share it. Thank you for all the many blessings you've bestowed upon us individually each day. Thank you for the blessings you've bestowed upon us as a nation, the resources you've given us, the space, the land, time, time, Lord. Help us to use it wisely. Help us to trust in you to know even when heartbreaking things happen that we can still trust that you're in charge, that you have a plan, and that even if we can't see that plan or understand it, we can trust you. Help me to do that better in particular, Lord. Forgive us our sins, Lord. Forgive us our pride, our rejection of you, our lack of gratitude. Forgive us when we get our priorities out of line. When we choose idleness and laziness and selfishness. Watch over all these people again, Lord, that are listening, that share the podcast and listen to it. Bless them and their families. Guide my words today. Guide our nation. Guide all our leaders and those who protect us. Bring them home safe to their families. In your son's name we pray. Amen. we got a few things to try and get through today. We're going to start with 
some commentaries by Joseph's story. You don't know a whole lot about story. We've talked about him a few times on the podcast. He was a U.S. congressman, early 1800s, appointed as a justice of the United States Supreme Court by President James Madison. Youngest person ever to serve in that position. He was on the bench for 34 years until his death in 1845. Worked to establish the illegality of the slave trade. Professor at Harvard. Wrote some very influential works as far as law goes. We're going to look at commentaries on the Constitution of the United States. Just a little clip from it. If you have this, part of this at least comes from oh, section 1868. They're numbered like that, so you could go in and find it. Probably at the time of the adoption of the Constitution and of the amendment to it now under consideration, the general, if not the universal, sentiment in America was that Christianity ought to receive encouragement from the state so far as it was not incompatible with the private rights of conscience and the freedom of religious worship. Any attempt to level all religions and to make it a matter of state policy to hold all in utter indifference would have created universal disapprobation if not universal indignation. Earlier, we are not to attribute this prohibition of a natural religious establishment in the First Amendment to an indifference to religion in general, and especially to Christianity, which none could hold in more reverence than the framers of the Constitution. One more little section. Massachusetts, while she had promulgated in her Bill of Rights the importance and necessity of the public support of religion and the worship of God, has authorized the legislature to require it only for Protestantism. The language of that Bill of Rights is remarkable for its pointed affirmation of the duty of government to support Christianity. And the reason for it as, says the third article, the happiness of a people and the good order and preservation of civil government essentially depend upon piety, religion, and morality. And as these cannot be generally diffused through the community, but by the institution of the public worship of God and the public instructions in piety, religion, and morality, therefore to promote their happiness and secure the good order and preservation of the government, the people of this commonwealth have a right to invest their legislature with the power to authorize and require. And the legislature shall from time to time authorize and require 
the several towns, parishes, etc., etc., to make suitable provision, at their own expense, for the institution of the public worship of God, and for the support and maintenance of public Protestant teachers of piety, religion, and morality, in all cases where such provision shall not be made voluntarily. Afterwards, there follow provisions prohibiting any superiority of one sect over another, and securing to all citizens the free exercise of religion. So this kind of goes in line with what we've been talking about. You hear the state has to be supported by Christianity. It rests on Christianity. Story acknowledges that in his commentaries that we just read and talks about the fact that at that time, if that founding generation as a whole would have thought that the First Amendment was going to make the state indifferent to Christianity, lower Christianity to the same level as other false religions, that they never would have allowed it. It would have caused, as he said, I believe, almost universal indignation. And so this idea that the First Amendment somehow prohibits the involvement of faith in government, in our institutions, is wholly false. And the idea that the government didn't view Christianity, and particularly Protestantism, more so than Catholicism, but all denominations of Protestantism, as the basis for morality, for basically for good order and discipline, as we used to say in the Marine Corps, is also wholly false. Our founders knew that we had to have those principles of Christ. And you can see in the Massachusetts Bill of Rights, or I think it was the Bill of Rights, my brain just went away. Let me look again real quick. Yeah. Talking about the need for the legislature to actually pay for construction or, or the ability to have church, basically. Providing pay for ministers when it wasn't done voluntarily by the people and require it. This idea that we're not a Christian nation, that we weren't founded that way, and that we can't have Christianity, not even that we can't have folks, but that we don't have to have Christianity at the core of our institutions and our laws, is just, uh, it just shows an ignorance of history, whether it's due to lack of education on the subject, or willful ignorance, or malevolence. 
It doesn't matter who we elect. It doesn't matter what laws we enact on any one particular topic. Choose whatever you want. School choice, balanced budget amendment, domestic policy, foreign policy, requirements to prevent critical race theory, diversity, equity, inclusion, theology, LGBTQIA plus whatever, out of schools, out of the military. None of that matters if we don't have God in our public institutions, including our laws. If we don't acknowledge that truth, which is there, it's very obvious. You just go look at the first few lines of the Declaration and the it just starts off from there. And even before there, even before we were a nation. And, and we're not going to survive, folks, without God. It just, it won't happen. You can see this when they're talking about the language of the Bill of Rights from Massachusetts that Story is commenting on the happiness of the people, the good order and preservation of civil government essentially depend upon the piety, religion, and morality. And as these cannot be generally diffused through the community, but by the institution of public worship of God, and the public instructions in piety, religion, and morality, and so you've got to have this humbleness. You've got to have the morals taught by Christianity. You've got to have Christianity. It's what makes us unique more so than the Second Amendment, which conservatives love to tout, more so than anything else, right? Because just a little caveat here, folks. The Second Amendment, if you don't have the morality of God to go along with it, just means that you have a bunch of evil people with guns now. Or people that have the potential more so, more of a potential to act evilly, right? You, it, it's like the saying today now, in order to combat evil men, evil dangerous men, you need good men who are dangerous. Uh, you hear that from Jordan Peterson and a number of others. You don't need weak men. You need strong men. You need dangerous men, but you need men that are good. And that's the rarest of combinations. It's much easier to be a dangerous man if you're evil. You know, in this, this line, it's, it's so important that story talked about. Christianity ought to receive encouragement from the state so far as was not incompatible with the private rights of conscience and the freedom of religious worship. So the first thing there, there's two real huge points just in that one line. The state ought to encourage Christianity. So far from being indifferent 
or being hostile, which it is today, the state should encourage Christianity. And how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, you you encourage morality in your citizens, right? One of the things that comes to mind right now is you're going to have a, a tax break for, and this isn't a perfect analogy, folks. I'm going to go ahead because I can already see some holes in it, and I'm sure you all will too. But one thing over the years, if you're going to encourage uh, marriage, right, because families, right, strong family, uh, strong marriages are the backbone of the family, which is the backbone of the country, our community, school, states, and country. And so if you're given the choice, right, between uh, heterosexual marriage and homosexual marriage, which is not marriage at all, it's just a pretend word, you want to encourage marriage between a man and a woman. And furthermore, you want to encourage them to stay married. So if you're going to have some kind of tax break, you would want to give that tax break to those people that are in a monogamous heterosexual marriage and, and that stayed married, right? The idea of this no-fault divorce idea that we have had come into law, you wouldn't want that. And we didn't used to have that. You would want divorce to be extremely difficult. Except in the cases where it was legitimate from a Christian point of view. And as far as the state was concerned, you know, if you wanted to go live with somebody and not be married, so be it. But if you wanted the benefits from the state, you you would want to applaud good actions. And, and really, folks, this is not radical. There's a lot of people out there, and I'm sure I'm going to get some comments online that are going to say that this is radical, but we do it all the time. Good parents, good parents, not parents that don't care about their children, but good parents do this all the time with their children. They applaud and encourage good actions, hard work, determination, perseverance, kindness, patience, honesty, integrity, courage. All of these things, and you could add more to the list, good parents encourage in their children. At the same time, good parents discipline their children for wrong, for immoral actions, the opposite of all things, right? Lying, cheating, stealing, gossip, right? You're really a good parent. You pay attention to those things, even if they seem little. And not that the state is our parent by any means, but God is. And this is a Christian nation. See, this is the problem. And I'm not going to say it well, folks, but maybe I'll say it well enough where some of y'all that are a lot smarter than me can figure it out. We have freedom of religion here because we have a Christian nation. And if you take that Christian nation away, you will no longer have freedom of religion freedom of worship, 
or freedom not to worship. And so you don't have to follow the principles of Christ individually. You have that choice, that right. But as a nation, we ought to reward, encourage citizens in following those principles of Christ. And only those principles of Christ. And that in no way, and you see this in Story's comments there, that in no way infringes upon individual freedom of worship. You don't have to worship God and Jesus Christ, his son. You don't have to follow his commands in your individual life. But as a nation, we have to institutionally, systemically, we have to follow the principles of Christ. And now, of course, it becomes really hard to do that if we don't follow those principles individually. Uh, and, and that's a whole nother discussion. But the really, the important, the second really important part of that line from story is that those two things are not inexorably linked together. Yes, there's some connection there. But you can have a Christian nation with systems and institutions and laws that follow the principles of Christ without infringing upon the freedom of worship, freedom of religion of individual citizens. And I went way over. <laughs> Sorry. I had another little bit about a the fact that tying church to the state, the U.S. Capitol uh, was used as a church chamber, one of the, the largest room in the Capitol for years and years. Uh, and maybe we'll come back to that and talk about it briefly next time. But God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless your marriages. God bless America. We'll talk to y'all again real soon, folks. Looking forward to it.